Good morning, everyone. Uh, now you may be saying, well, first of all, uh, uh, it is my pleasure once again, and I know Becca, Becca mentioned it, but it is my pleasure to introduce to Gathering Church. So this is, this is her first Sunday here under this identity, and that's Mrs. Erica Butler. <laughs> Who also happens to be your pastor's wife. <laughs> uh, man, we had a time Friday night, and uh, if, with, with all my heart, if, if, we, if, if, if space would have provided, budget would have provided, uh, we would have just done an open an open call to whosoever wanted to come celebrate with us, and uh, you know that's not how the world works or whatever. But uh, to those of you who were here and who were a part of it, uh, uh, thank you for helping us celebrate. It truly was—I'd mentioned this to the the crew uh, before service. It truly was uh, one of the happiest days of my life on Sunday evening. One of the happiest moments of my life. So, Amen. Amen. And, and I'm, not, I'm not just saying this to gain brownie points. I, I really, really mean it. Uh, I mean it. You should have just stopped. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you it's... had it with what you said. <laughs> no. Uh, Erica was the absolutely the most beautiful bride I've ever laid eyes on. And, and uh, amen. They opened the door. They, they opened the door. I was planning on just having fun and laughing and grinning the whole time and they opened the doors for her to march out, and I laid one eye on, well, laid both eyes on her, not just one eye. And, uh, and, and both, both, both eyes started clouding up. I, I cried the whole way down, like she was walking down, and it was happy tears. Uh, I just said, look what the Lord has done. And uh, thought I got a hold of myself until she started saying her vows to me, and uh, I started crying again. So I'll admit to that. So... Uh, but we are happy. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully, hopefully, I prove that your pastor can still cut a rug a little bit. I'm not a good dancer, but I'll dance. I'll dance. Um, Mark, was that you that that's <laughs> Mark posted a picture? Said, "Does your says uh, does does your pastor dance to Bobby Bobby Brown's My Prerogative? Because mine does." <laughs> I, hey, look, ain't no, ain't, no, ain't no shame in my game when it comes up. Hey, Amen. It is it's my prerogative. I do what I want to do. It's my prerogative. Um, hey, Amen. We, we had a good time. We had a good time. Uh, and we're going to continue to have a good time. So, so we just invite everybody to keep celebrating with us because we're still celebrating. Hey, Amen. Some of y'all may say, well, then why are you here if you're still celebrating? You just got married. Uh, we, were, we were actually hosting uh, some of Erica's family uh, over the next few days. They came a long way. Some of these folks came from Canada even. And, uh, you know, they came a long way, paid a lot of money to come celebrate with us. So uh, they'll, they'll be leaving over the next couple of days. And, and so we're going to take some time to enjoy them while, while uh, they're here. Uh, those of you who are part of Viridian, that live in Viridian, uh, they have been, they, they uh, you know, we... we Take the, the neighborhood for granted sometimes, how beautiful it is, and, and just all the blessings that we do have within this, this community. Uh, so they, they've just been raving about it. They're like, man, you live in a perpetual vacation spot. 
you know. And I said, because I, that's because you don't have to get up and go to work when you're here, you know. So, <laughs> so it feels like a vacation spot, right? <laughs> Everybody always says, ooh, man, I could just live here in Hawaii, you know, when you go to Hawaii. It's like, yeah, until you get there and get a job, and then you got to get up. And it feels just the same to get up at 5 a.m. there as it does here, you know. Amen. Uh, life is really, really bizarre and interesting. Um, this, this past week, it was a crazy week uh, leading up that ended in beautiful celebration. And, and we were praising God uh, for, for the, the wedding and, and just uh, the Lord bringing Erica and I together. But from the top of the week on, it was, it was a crazy week. And it wasn't because of the wedding per se. I mean, we, uh, I had a pastoral conference I had to be at in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So I was bouncing between Knoxville, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, that whole area uh, for the week. And uh, as soon as I touched ground in Knoxville, had gotten word that my cousin passed away, 52 years old, uh, wife, uh, two boys, uh, one, I believe, finishing up high school, another one in college. And, uh, uh, you know, my aunt and uncle, uh, they're, they're having to deal with the loss of their, their son, 52 years old, had been bat- battling a form of leukemia and had been doing really well. And uh, many of you who have had loved ones uh, who have fought maybe a disease such as leukemia, cancer, or whatever, you'll know, you'll think, hey, things are looking good. And then all of a sudden, it's just a quick, swift and dramatic drop. Uh, but he was a believer. He loved the Lord. And uh, he's rejoicing before our king. And um, I also know that Joyce Butler was probably the first in line. My mom was probably the first in line to greet him because she, she loved Bert and, and my cousin Brian, his younger brother, um, so I'm sure she had a big old meal waiting on him and uh, everything else to welcome him. And, and re- the reality is he's doing better than all of us right now and because uh, he has uh, stepped into perfection. Uh, but uh, just keep his family in prayer uh, because they are still here on this side. And uh, it, it's hard. It's painful. And so, so Friday was really interesting because his funeral was uh, at... at Actually, one o'clock our time, two o'clock Georgia time, where he was, and uh, so I was able to tune in a little bit to the stream for his memorial. So on on one one hand, I'm saying goodbye to my cousin and feeling really uh, heavy from my, uh, my my uncle Pete and Aunt Kathy. Uh, but then on the other hand, I'm stepping into a time of celebration. And isn't life odd like that? that at the same time, simultaneously, you can experience some of the best of times and some of the worst of times. And yet, it's all part of life. It's, it's all, you know, two sides to the coin. But, but it reminded me, uh, it reminded me that even when you're going through a difficult time, there's always blessings, just like we got through singing. Man, I see the evidence of his goodness, and I see his promises being fulfilled even in the difficult times, even in the challenging times, even when it seems like there's no way we can be assured that God is definitely making a way out of no way. He's making your nowhere into a now here. You know, uh, it's, it's just phenomenal how he works. And it lent itself, uh, you know, just, just because of the dynamics of what I was dealing with for the whole week, the, the, the death of a cousin, yet the preparation uh, for a, a, a marriage to step into holy matrimony, and, and then the, the craziness of helping to uh, 
facilitate a conference <laughs> of, of a bunch of pastors and uh, all that good stuff. And then praying, praying that my, my flight would be on time on Thursday because I had rehearsal Thursday night. And uh, the Lord worked it all out. Um, but it, but it, it got me chewing on some things. And so I prayed about some things, sat in my hotel room quite a bit, and had a conversation with God, which led to this message. So we're going to take this week, we're just taking a, a bit of a side road, a bit of a scenic route from our, our dive, deep dive into the Holy Spirit, uh, just to talk about some things. But how, how many have enjoyed, man, I have enjoyed what we've been talking about with the Holy Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit and how they can be active in our life and how just the, the proper order in which the Lord uh, facilitates them. And, and, and again, I'm excited that we had an opportunity to study them and talk about them because that means if God wants them to be active in this body of believers, that means that he's wanting this body of believers to be built up and edified. And uh, it just goes along with what he's been saying, that he wants to, he's trying to grow a church. And by growth, we're not just talking about numerical growth, you know, but, but if, uh, you know, we, we are right at the 74, 75 member mark as far as those, those of you who have checked the box and gotten the tattoo, right? You know, you're, you've, you've signed up, said, this is my home church. Uh, well, praise God for that. But, but if we're not growing 74, 75 people as believers and as uh, servants in the kingdom, and as victorious warriors, then then what good would it what good would it do to have 750 people, <laughs> you know, if all we're doing is just meeting and having church, you know? Uh, but but the Lord is teaching us to grow, and uh, and through that I'm I'm excited because of the gifts of the Spirit. But we're going to take a, a bit of a side road to talk, just talk about this concept, and it's uh, the miracle of emptiness, the miracle of emptiness. Uh, the, the, you know, the Lord just. And I don't know who this is for. Maybe it's just for me. Maybe I'm preaching to myself today. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully if someone, someone receives something, a, a word from this. Let's read from 2 Kings chapter 4 today, starting with verse 1. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. So she's looking for some equity. My husband has passed, and he was faithful. He was faithful to all the things God did, and he served you. He was part of this group of prophets. But look at the, look at the mess I'm in. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in your house you know, we always think that we need something extra. If I can just get this, if I can just grab hold of this, if someone would just give me something. But maybe the question for us today is, what is it that you have? What is it that you already have that God can use? What can I do to help you, Elisha? So tell me, what do you have in your house? Look at her response. Nothing. <laughs> I don't have anything, nothing at all, except the only thing I've got, I've got a flask of olive oil, she replied. I don't have anything. All I got is this. And maybe that's where you feel. Maybe you feel that you are emptied out, that, that, that you are expended. You know, I barely got enough faith for whatever. All I got is this, Lord. So this is what Elisha says. Elisha said, 
borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Now folks can say, man, look at that miracle. She was able to pay off her debt and her and her sons were able to, you know, look at the miracle. She's had so much olive oil that she was able to take care of all of her needs. And then her sons and her had enough to live over. But let's, let's talk about the concept of miracles real quick. We always think in terms of miracles as being the final product of what we want, right? A miracle is, in our mind, typically is when we see the healing take place. Woo, look at that miracle. Or when the check arrives in the mail, right? Woo, miracle. <laughs> or or when, when uh, the friendship is put back together, Miracle, or when you get hired on that new job. You know, miracles for us tend to be the end product, but never really about the journey. But if you really look at the story, as much as a blessing took place at the end, that she had enough olive oil to pay her debt, to save her sons from being taken into slavery, and then enough to live on afterwards, what a great blessing what great provision. The miracle actually took place within the story. You know, if you think about it, he, he told her to go. Now, Elisha was going to, he was going to meet the need anyway. You know, I'm sure they could have taken up enough of collection amongst all the prophets there and met the need. But he understood a miracle needed to take place. Not just a blessing, but a miracle needed to take place. Something out of nothing had to appear. That's the miracle. He told her to get a particular type of jar. What was that jar? What kind of jar? An empty jar. Get a bunch of emptiness and fill your house with it. Say, Lord, I need you to move in my life. He said, then empty out. Get to a place where you have nothing left that you can depend on, to where I become the only way out, to where I become the sole source of what you need. That's faith. When you got nowhere else to go, no one else to turn to, no way out of your situation except for him. Lord, I have nothing left. Perfect. You're exactly where I want you. Because the Bible said that as she brought empty jars in and her sons went and collected empty jars from all the neighbors and filled the entire house with empty jars, the oil began to pour. And the oil kept pouring as long as there was empty. Fill one jar, give me another empty jar. Filled it up, it kept pouring. From one little flask of oil, 
It kept pouring into emptiness, pouring into emptiness, pouring in. Some of you who are here that feel like you have expended everything you have, that you have no more tears left, you have no more anger left, <laughs> you have no more ability even to even get frustrated, you have no more resources to even have faith for anything good to come into your situation need to hear this. In your emptiness is where the oil will reproduce and flow. That's the miraculous. Miracles are messy. Miracles usually take place when there's blood and guts laying around everywhere. Miracles don't always come in a pretty package, but it's in the dire necessity and desperation of your emptiness that the oil begins to flow. And it kept flowing until she said, give me another jar. And her son said, we don't have any more empty jars. The Bible says at that point, the oil stopped flowing. There was no more need for the oil to flow. Things had been full. If you're here and you feel like you're getting pretty near E on your dial for some situation, then rejoice because you're clearing room for a miracle. The miracle isn't the end result. That's the blessing. That's the cherry on top. The miracle is the, the metamorphosis that takes place within you when you learn to walk completely by faith. When you get to a point where you say, I don't just believe in you, God, but I, I believe you. I believe you. We, we, we see it take place. We see it take place even with John the Baptist. You know, he, a lot of us feel like him. He was like stuck in prison, right? Uh, he was on death row was scheduled to lose his head. I, did I even do the right thing? I mean, I, 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 I preached the coming of Jesus. I even introduced Jesus. I got out of his way. When he showed up to get baptized, I said, hey, behold, this is the Lamb of God. I know, been, I know the big crowds have been coming to hear me preach, but look, this is who you need to be following. I'm not even worthy enough to tie his shoes. I must decrease, he must increase. And what did he get for it? He landed himself in prison. And now he's about to lose his head. Did I do the right thing? And then he sends for Jesus. Says, tells his people, says, hey, go ask him, is he really the one? Is this all for naught? Is he really the one? And Jesus told his, the disciples, he says, go back and tell John, he quoted from Isaiah, that the, the sick are being healed, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf speak, you know, the, the whole list. And I love, I, want, I remember Paul Gibbs pointing out in a sermon, he said, he said, if you notice, Jesus, the one thing that Jesus didn't say is the captives are being set free. And John would have known and understood that, oh, he didn't mention anything about captives to me. <laughs> I'm not getting out of this. Because sometimes God's not trying to deliver you from your situation. He's delivering you in your situation. You may still be right in the mess of the, say, well, yeah, John lost his head. Absolutely. And that's what he's wanting you to do. He's trying to make you lose your head. Because he wants you to stop thinking with your own mind and adopt the mind of Christ. Now, we see a New Testament example of this concept of the miracle of emptiness. I'd never seen this before. And I don't know, maybe I'm late to the dance. 
Maybe, maybe I'll share it today and everyone's like, yeah, where you been, Dave? That's, <laughs> you know, plain as day. Uh, Mark chapter 5 tells the story of Jairus. Anyone remember this story? Jairus. He, ha- he has a daughter. He was, he was the head of one of the synagogues. Jesus had just gotten off a boat. The crowd started gathering around. Jairus saw him and desperately fell at his feet and said, Master, my little girl is near death. She's dying. Would you please come and heal her? Jesus said, absolutely, I'll heal her. So he takes off. They start walking. Well, in the process, now you got to understand the paparazzi that's hanging out, right? Uh, Everybody's pressed in. Everyone's trying to get a piece of Jesus. And and Jairus is desperately trying to lead Jesus because he needs what he thinks is a miracle. I don't want my little girl to die. I actually have his attention. Number one, this put Jairus in a very odd place. He had to be desperate. Jesus was quite controversial. And not all the Jews were happy about him, especially the Pharisees. Here he is, the head of a synagogue. He's the head of one of their churches. And he's desperate enough to go fall at the feet of this renegade guy, this renegade preacher. And, and so finally, I got his attention. Let's go, let's go. And as they're walking, you remember there was another miracle that took place. And this is the only time, out of all the miracles that Jesus did, this is the one time that two of them collided with each other. And not only did they collide, but they really intertwined far more than what I realized until I got to looking at this. As, there, as he's going to heal this 12-year-old girl, if you remember, there was a woman with an issue of blood that came to uh, see Jesus. And there was something that Jesus had been preaching about that got her fired up. And she said, you know what? If I can just touch the hem of the garment of this man, I know I will be made clean. I know I will be made whole. So, so what did... What did she do? Now, you have to understand her predicament, and and many of you know this, but according to Leviticus chapter 15, because she had had this issue of blood, in other words, for 12 years, she had been suffering from her menstrual cycle for 12 years. And because of it, because of it, she she would be deemed unclean. This would have affected her. It would have affected her husband. If she had children, it would have affected their children. Because anytime she went into the marketplace, she would have either had to have a sign on or at least call out anytime anyone got near her. And she would have to at least call out and say, unclean, unclean, so that nobody else, because if anyone else touched her, they would be considered unclean per Mosaic law. Her husband couldn't sit on the same chair that she sat on, or he would be deemed unclean. Her children would not be able to eat meals that she prepared, or they would be considered unclean. So for 12 years, this woman had an identity of uncleanness. Think of the, just the, the captivity she lived in. And so she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. So she does, right? We remember the story. And Jesus, who's making a beeline to Jairus' house, stops and said, who touched me? And I love how the Bible describes that everybody's denying it. Everyone's like, I, I didn't touch you. I didn't touch you. Wasn't me. Him. <laughs> him. Him. No. Uh, Finally, everyone took one step back, <laughs> except for that, that lady. And, but Jesus, of course, Peter's saying, Jesus, what kind of ridiculous statement is that? Everybody's pressing in on you. What do you mean everybody's touching you? He goes, no, 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 no. He said, he said, life, 
I felt life go out of me. Uh, one translation says, I felt virtue go out of me. Why? Because she was unclean. And when she touched him, she was made, not only was she healed, she was made clean. Isn't that wonderful? Psalm says that he forgives our sins and heals our diseases. Sometimes our healing and cleansing all comes at the same time, you know? Uh, so think, now think though of what Jairus is feeling at the moment. What, why did you press the pause button, Jesus? You're, you were in the process of my miracle. I need you desperately. And now you've put me on hold. You pressed pause on me. And I'm standing here empty. I'm experiencing nothing now. I am not experiencing my miracle. I'm experiencing nothing. I'm standing here waiting. And now you're blessing some other woman who didn't even line up. She cut in line. And yet Jesus stops and says, hey, you took virtue out of me. And of course, he, you know, she comes out and de declares her, her miracle and, and explains what had happened. And he, and he tells her, he says, he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, understand what was happening. To Jairus, there was a massive interruption. There was a massive blockage to his miracle. Anyone ever felt like that? God, I need you to move in this situation, but something is blocking it. You're not hearing me. I thought you were doing something for me, and now you've hit pause. What are we waiting on? Where are you at? Where did you go? Am I the only one that's ever experienced that in my life? <laughs> the emptiness of that feeling of, you know, my, I'm just standing here spinning my wheels. No progress. What's going on, God? Chop, chop. Let's go. Burning daylight. And yet it seems like God's off and we look around and man, he's blessing everybody else. <laughs> now, something happens along while he's standing there patiently waiting. Uh, folks from Jairus' house show back up and they say, don't bother the master anymore because she's died. Some translations actually say, don't bother the rabbi, the teacher, the rabbi, because she's dead. Imagine his disappointment. Imagine his, the sinking feeling. Imagine the, the heartache, the frustration. Jesus, I had you. I mean, you were, you were pointing in the right direction. We had two more blocks to go. Two more blocks. And just because some woman, some unclean woman touches you, you put me on pause and now my daughter is dead. Now, fortunately for Jairus, he actually gave us the best model in the world. He didn't say a thing. Because when Jesus heard what was going on, Jesus just turned around. And he goes, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Just have faith. That's all he said. Fortunately, Jairus kept his mouth shut. He didn't speak anything in existence, Right? But I love that. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. Just trust me. That's what he's trying to tell all of us. Don't be afraid. Just trust him. But he has me on pause. Don't be afraid. Just trust him. But he's distracted with something else. Don't be afraid. Because the miracle comes in the emptiness. 
The miracle comes in the void. The miracle, the blessing comes at the end, but the true miracle comes when it seems like nothing has taken place at all. Because check out what happens. According to Mosaic law, a priest, a rabbi, anyone of authority could not go into the room, even the room with a dead body, much less touch a dead body, or they would have been made unclean. And they said, don't bother the rabbi, because now we got an unclean body in the house. She's dead. Oh, never mind, Jesus, you can't come. She's dead. She'll make you unclean. But look what Jesus allowed to happen. He already knew what was going to happen. He already knew what he was about to do. But he had a problem because he's also, he didn't come to eliminate the law, the Bible said. He came to fulfill the law. So he was being respectful of their traditions and the law of Moses. He allowed an unclean woman to touch him. A woman that had had an, an issue of blood for 12 years to touch him and take virtue out of him. She's made whole, but he's unclean per the law. He's unclean. Now it's no big deal if he walks into the room of a 12-year-old who's dead. And the Bible said that he took her by the hand. Just the parents and a few friends came in. He took her by the hand. He said, little girl, get up. She came back to life. Do you understand the miracle wasn't her coming back to life? The miracle that was in the void of Jairus having to patiently wait on Jesus when he thought his world was falling apart, he thought he was having to let go of his 12-year-old child. The miracle was that Jesus was preparing the way for the blessing. Oh, she's about to die. Hang on. I need to work the law a little bit. Where's this sweet lady with the issue of blood? Come on up and touch me. I'm going to slow down. Just enough for you to touch. Oh, there you go. You touched me. Who touched me? Woo. Okay, thanks a lot, baby. I'm unclean now. I can go right in. Jesus loved Jairus enough to put him on. The miracle took place because in the, in the void of nothingness for Jairus, Jesus took 12 years of uncleanness on so that he could walk in and he could bestow 12 years of life back to a little girl. Oh, somebody hear me today. The miracle wasn't the resurrection of the girl. The miracle was that Jesus loved everyone enough to work the system in the midst of the void. The oil will pour into the empty vessel into your emptiness. Anyone hearing me? Can I give you a real world example? I know I make people really uncomfortable because I've been so transparent over the last couple of years. But it's only because, it's not because there's anything about me. But I've never seen God move in my life in the way that he's moved over the last 24 to 28 months of my life. You know, uh, and, and most of you have walked this journey with me, <laughs> you know, um, he, he was talking to me about this message 
all week long while I was in Tennessee on the flight back. And, and someone, there's someone here that needs to know that in your emptiness, you've been frustrated with God because he's not moving fast enough or it doesn't, you think he's not doing anything. You think he's not hearing you. And you have no clue that he's working behind the scenes, <laughs> that the oil's already being poured out. You know, Friday, Friday night was quite miraculous for me to see everything that, I've, that he's blessed me with. Uh, with Eric and I, and just everything that's going on in our life. And within two years, my life has totally turned around. And, and like I said, many of you have been here to walk and see it, and you've, you've seen what God's done. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I had somebody hug me Friday night and say, this, this is just a miracle. This is a miracle. While it seems miraculous, it was a blessing Friday night. The miracle took place in my emptiness. The miracles took place on the nights that I was alone, that I was grieving, that I was, wasn't sure what was going on, that I was learning to depend on him. The miracle took place when I allowed myself to do a free fall, when he said, let everything go and trust me completely. And he provided everything I would ever need. It came straight from him. And he used a lot of you guys to do it. But, but... He, he reiterated it all the way to the point right before Bob and Wandra came to get me out of this room over here where I'd gotten dressed and I was waiting to come out and, and get married. Uh, I get a phone call, okay? Can I become really transparent? And I'm going to try to be really respectful in the way. And some of y'all get really nervous when people get transparent. So if you can't get transparent in church, come on now. Uh, uh, I got a phone call, and it was from Isaac. And Isaac had no clue that he was about to pray an absolutely phenomenally prophetic prayer over my life. Now, he knew he was going to pray. He had no clue that he became God's personal ventriloquist doll, right? You know what I'm saying? It was his voice, but it was God. Uh, let, me, let me backtrack a little over two years ago, the night that my world collapsed, okay? And I'm going to be really respectful about this. But the night that my world collapsed, um, and, and I had no clue. I, matter of fact, I was, I was swirling so bad, and I was hurting so bad, and I, I didn't even know if I could take another breath. It was just my, my life was, was over, I thought. It was the most lonely, rejected, empty feeling. Uh, I wasn't only scared for me, I was scared for my girls. I, I didn't know what life was going to look like. There was two phone calls I made that night. One, the first one was to, to Bob and Carrie, uh, was offering my resignation. Uh, uh, Bob immediately declined the offer, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and, and you know, we, we chatted about some things, and he said, no, just look, be patient. God's going to walk you through this. The second call I made was to a friend of mine named Jim Thaxton. I've mentioned him a few times. He's a prophet. I used to work with him. And when I say prophet, I mean he's a legitimate prophet. He's one of them weird Yoda-type prophets, right? Like he's, like, always off in his own corner. Like you go up to, you go up to the office, his office, you're going to, like, knock on the door, and you're thinking, oh, he's talking to somebody. And you're standing there, and you're, 
Well, he's talking to God, you know, and you peek in, and he is. He's like, like he's arguing with God, looking up, and he's like, you know, having this conversation with God, right? And, and uh, so, um, and he's one of these guys that'll come up, and you have to understand Jim, he's got this incredible voice. He needs to be on radio because he's got this Texas draw. He's only about that tall, but his voice is deep, and he's, well, Dave, let me tell you what needs to go on here. He'll be in the middle of praying for you, right? And he's, man, Dave, I'm just going to pray for you. And then he'll stop, and he's, I'm going to pray for you. And just, what? what? Yeah, I'll tell him. Can, can I pray for him? For, oh, you want me to tell him? Okay. And then he'll, like, read your mail. Hey, the Lord was the Lord saying that you're dealing with this, this, and this. And it's like nobody else would knew, right? And you're like, oh, wow, this really is from God. And he'll, and he'll be in the middle, and he goes, hey, hang on. What? I'm trying to tell him. Okay, I'll tell him that too. And then he, you know, and it's, it just keeps coming. That's, that's what I'm saying. He's one of those type of guys. But, you, but, but he's proven himself to, to be, be of the Lord, right? And has one of the biggest hearts in the world. Uh, I, I felt like the Lord told me to call him. Not because I was looking for a word, but it was just, Jim, pray for me. Um, so I, I, I called him, let him know what was going on. And of course, he's, he's sitting there crying with me. And he says, he says to me, he said, well, let me pray for you. And he's just praying, he's praying over me and he's crying over me on the phone and he stops and he says, what? And I knew what he's doing. You know, he's like, he's probably sitting there like with the phone away, huh? What? You know? And of course I'm, I'm like, Jim, you know, think of Jim, don't look, I, I don't need this. My whole world's on fire. My, my life's collapsing. Right. And, and he comes back and he goes, Hey, um, I can't pray anymore for you because I only, this is the only thing I can speak to you about. Um, God said, the only thing I need to say to you is um, pray for a ram in the thicket. What in the world does that mean? I mean, I know the reference. Yeah, right? We all know the story of Abraham. God said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac, your only son, Right? And Abraham said, okay, and so he loads Isaac up, and he said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? God's going to provide the sacrifice, right? We all know that. And he gets up to the top of the mountain, and he goes to sacrifice Isaac, and the angel says, don't, nope, don't do it. God's provided a sacrifice. God's provided an out. God's provided something else. He has provision so that there was a ram in the thicket, right? And, a, and that's the King James. There was a ram in the bushes, right? Nobody says thicket anymore, right? But he says, <laughs> but he says, so here I am, my, my world is falling apart. I am, I've got a dagger in my heart, fear trying to take hold of me. And, and this is what God chooses to speak to me. There's a ram in the thicket. Pray for that provision. And I even told him, I said, Jim, I don't need, a, I didn't ask for a word, but since you gave it, what does that even mean? Like, I was getting mad. Like, don't, don't get all mystical on me right now, you know? I just got the worst news of my life. And he's, well, that's all he says, pray for the ram in the thicket. Okay, thank, thank you, Jim. I said, never called you, right? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, kind of how I feel. All right, all right. And so I just, Lord, I don't know what you mean about this ram in the thicket, but... Tell me what I need to do elsewhere or whatever. So, and, and I, matter of fact, it was, it, it, uh, in all honesty, it probably bothered me enough. I, I totally almost, pretty much had forgotten about it. Hadn't thought about it anymore. 
right? And so y'all know the rest of the story. You know, the Lord, and, and y'all have walked with me for two years. And, and here I am, Friday night, minutes away from getting married. And, um, you know, and, and I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, thank you so much. I hope I really did see the green light on this. <laughs> you know, Erica's praying the same thing. This is a green light, right? <laughs> we only got a few more minutes, you know, right? <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and of course, all the things that God taught me about living by pure faith in the midst of my emptiness. Friday night, there I am, Isaac, as soon as we text, can I pray for you real quick? Yes, sir. So we call. He's like, my brother, let me pray for you. And you all know how Isaac is when he prays, man. He's going to get serious. He's going to get joyful. And he's going to have church. Right? So he's, he's praying over me and praying over our marriage and praying over Erica. And he's like, Lord, I just thank you for Dave. Can I share all this? Isaac is all right. Because I'm sharing it anyway. So you better check it out. <laughs> so <laughs> he said, he said, <laughs> that's right. Easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Um, and he's, he says, he says, Dave, he said, man, Dave, I thank you for Dave. And man, Lord, he just trusted you. He wasn't even looking for a wife. And there she was. You just had her there. She was the ram in the thicket. He didn't even say bushes. He said King James thicket. <laughs> she was a ram in the thicket. And I just sat there and what, because all of a sudden the Lord is like, like flashback to 28 months ago. Or ram in the thicket, you know. <laughs> And it hit me that night, or it hit me. There was the, the miracle took place, not Friday night. That was the blessing. Man, look what the Lord has done. Woo, glory, right? Those, those, hey, brother, those polka dots ain't never looked this good, right? Amen. That's what I'm saying, brother Paul. That's hey. That's hey. The miracle took place right in the middle of my nuclear blast because God already had a name for her, and it was a ram. In, the th in other words, it was provision. I'm providing something, Dave. You think your world is blowing up. You think you can't take another breath. You think there's not going to be another sunrise. You're filling up with fear at the moment. You're emptying out of everything good you think you have. Your world is being demolished. And while I'm worried about all that, God's saying, pray about your future. Pray about the provision I already have. There is a ram in the thicket. I don't care if that messes with your theology or I'm telling you what I experienced Friday night. The miracle took place at ground zero. Now, he didn't finally drop the clue. He didn't give me the secret decoder word until Friday night. And we were out on the dance floor, and I told her about it. And I began to weep. As we were down. I was like, I know there's no crying on the dance floor, but I'm crying. Because it showed me that God tried to, in the midst, in the midst of my biggest storm, when I cried out to him and he answered, even though I didn't know what in the world he was talking about, he already started talking to me about his promise. 
I'm trying to talk to him about one thing. He's got other subjects he's talking about. Anyone getting this? My God, someone hear this. Let's all stand. I know we got one more song, uh, and we're going to do that. Uh, Ryan, when you, when you get back up here, can you just start, start strumming the I see the evidence? I see the evidence of his goodness all over my life. On the blessed days, at Friday night, I saw the evidence of his goodness and promises being fulfilled even at the ground zero day of my life. Even at critical mass, there was his oil being poured into me. The miracle isn't the blessing I'm beginning to walk in right now. The miracle was that during my darkest hours, I experienced him in ways I've never experienced him. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what your battles are. Everything may be hunky-dory in your life. But you'll see his evidence. But if you're going through one of the greatest storms of your life, don't fear. If you think he hasn't showed back up, say, I've been praying and God's been vacant for three weeks. He's not vacant. He's allowing somebody else to prepare the way so that he can move in your situation, just like he did for J. Iris. The miracle takes place in the emptiness. Amen.